0: most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio.
3: Hello, I'm Jason Kelly.
0: And I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Mike Lynch.
3: And we're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays to explore the big money issues in the world of sports, talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we're very excited to be speaking with Nita Shrikant. She is the COO of a new company called Influencer, a great background working across social media. Excited to dive in. There is a lot happening in the world of sports, as we know. Nita, really nice to have you with us. How are you? I'm doing
2: wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Excited to chat.
3: Yeah, it's fun to, to talk with you right now with all of these moving parts, uh, especially in the world of social media, and especially when it comes to this whole notion of athlete empowerment. Let's start with exactly what you guys are working on, because you're working with a ton of athletes and a ton of programs, especially at the college level. Talk to us about it.
2: Well, Influencer is a tech platform, and we have, we work with over 700 college teams, over 22,000 athletes on a daily basis. And what we do is we bridge the gap between the content creators that work for the university athletic departments and the athletes themselves. So our goal is to arm athletes with more content so that they can share uh, the editorial pieces on their social accounts to grow their audience uh, and take advantage of their opportunity on campus.
0: Back in the old days, which is where I'm from, if if an athlete had something to say, it would then go through the publicist, and then the publicist Mm -hmm. would put it out uh, to the media. Uh, Those days are long gone now.
2: Yeah, the days are long gone. Every athlete is pretty much their own brand at this point, and they need to be servicing their brand by showcasing their voice uh, and really just targeting content that shows off their personalities as well.
1: So, Nita, we all know that the NCAA is on the precipice of uh, letting students um, be compensated for the use of their likeness or their name.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How, what is the best way to monetize this? Do you have to work through the school, or can you work directly with the athlete, uh, him or herself?
2: Well, right now, right now, the legislation still hasn't been netted out. There's, there's, still a lot of, uh, there's, there's still a lot of conversation going on on what the end game is. Uh, the way it currently sits as of the latest updates is athletes would have to be separate from the schools in order to monetize their name, image, and likeness so with that being that being said, the way we build our our company is working directly with the athletic programs to empower the athletes so we're we're eagerly waiting to see where the legislation ends up netting out we've you know talked to a lot of people to figure out uh, you know what what their what their core objectives are and how we can bridge the gap between the top 1% of collegiate athletes making most of the money versus, you know, the females and the other programs that are non-revenue. So we, we're just kind of at a standstill waiting to see how everything's going to shake out once all is said and done.
3: So Nita, what effect would that have on your business if the world does open up a little bit and athletes are able to effectively monetize themselves?
2: well it's going to help regardless of which way it ends up our our business right now is is booming uh, in a sense because the techno technological adoption over the last five months has really been a five year increase huh. and so athletic departments are leaning into us because they know that what do what do athletes uh, care about right now? Well they care about their social brand um, the next generation of recruits or the next class of recruits they're asking specifically a how are you going to help me with name, image, and likeness? And our platform is pretty much the only one out there that's really going to help uh, coaches on the recruiting front say, check out what we have in place for our team. We're going to be arming you with everything you possibly need in order to grow your brand while you're on campus. And, oh, by the way, this company as well is part of the conversation when it comes to how name, image, and likeness is going to net out as well.
0: Can you talk more about your business model? Uh, it, it's a great idea that you have. It, it, I guess the bottom line is, how do you guys make money doing this?
2: Well, we're a staff company. Uh, the university athletic departments are purchasing a, a license from us on a multi-year contracts. And so universities are, are buying it from us and uh, providing it to their athletic, uh, athletes uh, for use.
1: Nita, do they expect you to be a filter as well as a facilitator?
2: No, we are we are not playing that role. And, in fact, as part of you know our conversations with the athletic departments, we try to show them the bigger picture of you need to put in place sort of the limitations and, and provide the education to the athletes on what they should and shouldn't be posting. But ultimately, you need to provide them with a catalog of content for them to take and put their own voice to. However, as I said previously, It's about educating those athletes to understand what their voice direction should be, which is a positive message.
3: So Nita, let's go a level deeper if we can, because you alluded to this and and I want to make sure that I understand it, uh, what's happened over the past five months, because I I did an interview last week with the president of Morehouse College and and he put it very succinctly. He said, we're dealing with twin pandemics right now in this country. One is the obviously global health pandemic of coronavirus and and dealing with that. But there's also the pandemic of structural racism. This has... Mm -hmm utterly change the world for all of us but but especially for young people and especially in many ways for young athletes we're we're living in an age of athlete empowerment like we've never seen before walk us through how that has manifested in the athletes that you guys are ultimately working with and and you are effectively giving them this platform what have you learned about them
2: So let me break this down. When, uh, taking a step back, when an athlete graduates college, they continue to have access to our platform Mm -hmm. and they transition into what we call our pro uh, alumni. So we continue to work with athletes once they graduate college and engage the pro athletes that are in the NBA, NFL, MLB with additional content. And so around, you know, May, June, as, you know, unfortunately the George Floyd incident occurred, we, we started to receive an influx of engagement from our pro athletes, and what I started to do with our team of designers and content creators was we started to arm them with, here's information, you know, justice for Brianna Taylor, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, I stand with CAP, you know, voter registration. Athletes are wanting to become more active on social, and that gate that kind of guarded them from really sharing the social activist piece that they've always wanted to do but we're afraid that fear factor is no longer there anymore and i think that's going to be better for us in the long run because these athletes do have a platform that they need to be taking advantage of and so the social activism that you're starting to see is the next wave of of future of athletes and why it's so important for them to be storytellers and empower their you know their social audience in a way that helps build their brand their their voice and their storytelling journey. And so, you know, there. even when we talk about the college uh, college athletes as well, you're seeing uh, an outpouring of, of content that's basically the same that you see from the pro alumni, but now the college coaches realize that they need to also empower their collegiate athletes to do the same, and you're starting to see, you know, Coach K put out a wonderful video about Black Lives Matter. It was a one-take. If you, I'm not sure if you guys saw that. Coach Cal has also been very active this past weekend. He had the entire team together and was explaining to them the importance of voting. Um, and he posted that on his social media as well. So I think, um, the, to, to your point, there's there's two things that are happening right now. The main one that's really happening is right now what we're seeing with this pandemic, athlete activism is just beginning. Mm. And, you know, the mixture of sports and politics, stick to sports, stick to politics. That entire theory, that bubble, has bursted, and those that are going to be leaning in and doing it in a constructive way are the ones that are going to win out.
3: We're a far, we're a far cry from shut up and dribble, Michael Barr, aren't oh, we? Oh goodness, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and which brings me to the next point, and you mentioned about uh, putting out the uh, videos and the messages about get out and vote. Uh, sites like Twitter and Facebook, they are cracking down on so-called false information out there. uh, Do the athletes understand that they have to be careful of what they put out there because they could get ripped off Twitter or Facebook?
2: Yeah, I do believe that they know. Um, In fact, I also think that many times what they're saying is being manipulated to their detriment. So they're having to be a little bit more careful about the way they're phrasing things so it doesn't take... It doesn't get taken out of context uh, by others. But I don't necessarily believe that Facebook and Twitter's crackdown on this really has much to do with the athletes as much as it has to do with um, the disinformation campaigns that you're seeing that go beyond the United States.
1: Nita, does the number of followers, let's just pick Twitter, for example, does that automatically translate into the best chance to monetize your account and yourself and your brand? No.
2: So there's a, lot, there's a lot of formulas out there that, can, that place a value on what your social audience is. Uh, ultimately, what we've seen from Twitter, from Instagram, is there's a lot of fake audiences out there, bots, that don't necessarily engage with your content, but they're, uh, they're classified as a follower. So we, us at Influencer, we have our own NIL value formula that we've put together it not only takes into account that following, but it's a small portion of that evaluation. Really what we're looking at in in the NIL era and how you evaluate an individual athlete compared to another is based off of five metrics. First is the follower, which is the smallest bearing. Second is the type of sport they're playing. Revenue sport gets a higher attribution of of revenue versus a non-revenue sport. The location that they're in, so, if you're playing in a big market, you're probably going to fetch a higher dollar for your uh, NIL. Uh, the the conference that you're in, Power Five, is going to get more than a G5 and a an FCS. Um, the wins and losses of are you are you a winning program or are you a losing program is also going to play a role into what your NIL is. Uh, and then the most important piece to all of it is your social engagement, because you can have. Fifty million followers on Twitter or 50 million followers on Instagram, but if your audience is not engaged in the content that you're producing, you're not going to have the high engagement on those branded dollars that are going towards you. So we place a higher value on those accounts that maybe don't have a million followers. Maybe they have 25,000, 100,000 followers, but they're engaging at a rate that's higher than those with a million follower accounts.
3: So, Nita, I have to ask you, since we're talking so much about college sports, we on this program, and I'm sure you have uh, even more than we have, have been talking a huge amount about what college sports are going to look like this fall. You've had big power five conferences cancel. You've had others say we're moving ahead. Uh, what? is the what's your best guess on what we will see having the insights you do into these college teams what are sports going to look like in the fall and into the winter and on the collegiate level
2: no i i don't have a guess because right now it's just a day-by-day basis you're kind of seeing what's happening you know you see what's happening at Auburn and Alabama where they're trying their best. They're doing everything they can to try and have a football season, and I commend them for that. They're protecting their athletes as best as they possibly can. But they can protect, 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 but un- unless they're in that sort of bubble environment that you're seeing from the NBA that's done it successfully, there's just too many unknowns that can come into play. So my, my perspective is this. You take it on a day-by-day basis and you continue to – do as much as you possibly can to have a season and you hope for the best but you prepare for the worst and gosh we really need football right now we'll say that selfishly
0: (laughs) speaking of that uh honestly do you see uh, an nfl season coming up uh within the next few weeks
2: i think you're going to see an nfl season start i don't necessarily know that you're going to see it finish
3: What's the, what's the impact, sorry, just to break in, what's the impact on your business? I mean, is there is there something that you have to model differently if there aren't, uh, if there's a more widespread cancellation of, of college sports? How does it affect your business?
2: Well, the good thing for us is that we're in the tech space and we're building towards the future of college sports. So the impact is maybe short term, there might be some, you know, we'll see it in a year once sports comes back um but in, ultimately where we currently sit is we've had a very strong quarter we've had a strong start to q3 um and we're going to continue to lean in in areas that these college coaches can't not continue to uh invest in which is really the recruiting space and if you look at the big 12 a uh, big 10 excuse me big 10 and the pac 12 with their football seasons canceled. And if I'm a Power 5 school and I'm seeing the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 still attempting to play, it's almost kind of like the recruiting death penalty in, in a way. And I'm saying that in a very extreme way because if I am trying to recruit someone to come play on my team and, and I'm not playing the season, whereas, you know, SEC schools, ACC schools, Big 12 schools are able to recruit that same person and say, No matter what, we're going to continue to play football. That puts me at a disadvantage. So what we continue to do is align ourselves with the most important aspect of these college programs, which is the recruiting space. And in the NIL era, these college coaches are going to really have to lean heavily upon our expertise and our platform in order to provide them that extra 1% um, of support. So, you know, the impact on our businesses, well, coaches are going to have to lean in on us hmm. more than they had previously. So, for us in the long run, that's actually going to help us more than it hurts us.
1: Nita, how do you find the cooperation between some of the coaches and some of the major Power Five conferences? I know a lot of coaches, when you walk into a team meeting, everyone put their cell phone into a box outside here. And on, I don't want any social media uh, blasts going out after Wednesday of game week. Uh, do you find any roadblocks uh, that you have to overcome?
2: Yeah, social media is a necessary evil at this point. Every single college coach I've talked to, they say, if I wasn't in this job, I wouldn't be using social media. I'd delete it from my phone. But they know that this next generation of athletes have had a cell phone in their hands since the moment that they could start speaking, right? (laughs) So it's a part of our world. It's a necessary evil. And you can put rules and restrictions of put your phone away during team meetings, put your phone away in the locker room. But outside of those, those parameters, they know that these, they need these athletes to become ambassadors for their program in order to continue to recruit the best of the best available. And so
3: I, I guess, uh, Nita, you know, one interesting thing to, to talk to you about as well is your background, because you worked at ESPN, you worked with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm especially interested in your time at ESPN, because if I have my timing right, I mean, you were really on the, the leading edge, maybe the bleeding edge of understanding how social media can be used by athletes, by talent, by so many people. What did you take from that experience that you're really integrating into this new company?
2: So I was at the inflection point of where social chatter started to overcome the chatter you saw from the press conferences. And what I mean is, You were following the athletes on Twitter. You had your tweet deck open. You had your Instagram open. And you were seeing what were these athletes posting after the game? What were they chirping at when it comes to a specific play? And that became the storyline that you saw powering SportsCenter. And so the transition, uh, again, uh, to answer your question, there was the the tech adoption overall has been just – for, for someone like me who's been a, a social nerd for years upon years, waiting for this moment of, of time, it's been thrilling and exhausting to see um, how this transformation has occurred. And so with sport with ESPN, we really uh, internally, for, for a long part of my time, really struggled to get the understanding of how social can help the company, how social was transforming the player uh, ecosphere, and how we really needed to start putting resources more towards that and develop those relationships with the players and and, and work with them in, in ways whenever we, they were on our tentpole properties, like First Take and um, Sports Center, or even Monday Night Football, which I was a huge part of. And so I left ESPN back in 2018 to go to another company, IGN, which is the ESPN of the video game industry. And since then, you've kind of seen that there's continued to be that gap between ESPN empowering their own talent, ESPN empowering, you know, athletes that are coming on their set compared to what you see other outlets doing. And I think that's definitely continued to hurt them at a time where they could be at the forefront of a lot of this.
0: I want to talk about you for a second because you played some mean basketball back in the day. You uh, you were with, uh, you played AAU basketball with North Texas, the Shockers. Uh, high school basketball, you were great. And uh, you got a great compliment from Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, and he said that he's uh, one of the best athletes uh, around. And uh, can take us through that experience when you were playing basketball. Basketball was
2: the foundation of, that I built my entire mindset on and and discipline on I'm a team player. And I think being in the trenches with four other people on, on the court, um, developing a love for the game and watching Dirk Nowitzki. I was a ball kid for the Dallas Mavericks growing up as well and watching every single game up close and, and mopping up the (laughs) mopping up Dirk's and everyone else's sweat (laughs) to me was, um, you know, there's no better way to get your entrance into a career path than putting in the dirty work that I did, not only with, that, with the Mavs as a ball kid, but also just every single day on the basketball court at James Martin High School in Arlington, Texas, with my teammates or with the North Texas Shockers and Coach Melissa Renfro, um, who taught me so much, and I continue to rely upon Melissa and Jim Guy, who's my my my. Boss with the Dallas Mavericks as two of my most important mentors in life, and I continue to learn with them every time I t- from them every time I talk to them.
1: Nita, I remember you down at Hard Rock Stadium before Monday night game with the Patriots and the Miami Dolphins, and. I remember you because I saw you buzzing around with your iPhone, and I said, who is this woman, and what is she doing? And uh, Tom Brady came out, and he was talking to me, and the the Patriots had a woman who was doing the similar thing. And then Bill Belichick came out, and he was talking to Randy Moss. uh, Matt Hasselbeck was part of your Monday Night Crew then. And within minutes, I looked on my phone, and everything was posted. I said, wow, this is instant. And now this is only... Two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, yeah. uh, but I thought, wow, what a, what a what a great job, and, and and what a great tool to bring people inside something that the, the cameras don't actually show.
2: Yeah, well, that's that's always been my driving factor about covering NFL or any live event. You need to take the audience to areas that they can't see and the interactions that they really want to be able to have um, between Bill Belichick walking into the stadium. I remember that game. Bill Belichick walked into the stadium, and he he literally beelined directly to Randy Moss. And in that conversation, he gave him a couple of hugs and said, you were my favorite player. Um, and he kept talking to him and speaking. And it was like, coach, you got a big game right now. You're about to play the Dolphins, and here you are just you know, showing as much love as you are to Randy Moss. But those are the moments that cut through on social. And that's kind of, you know, bringing it back. That's what we try to educate all these college athletes that we talk to about is you are your own voice. You have the access that everyone wants to see about you. You need to let people in to those moments that they can't see. And so when I was with ESPN on Monday Night Football, it was always – let's not cover the touchdowns let's cover the celebrations let's see the things that you know the fans in the stadium that are have uh, incredible signs that the cameras probably aren't going to be able to pick up because they're so focused on the x's and o's of the game so that was always my mindset uh pre in the game and post-game is take people into places that they can't see that the cameras won't actually take you to
3: all right, so as we wrap up, the last thing I have to ask you about Nita is we're talking to you on Monday morning, uh, August 24th. Yesterday was a pretty good day if you're a Mavs fan.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I was I was watching this with the game with my dad yesterday and I, I was getting nervous in, in the in the start of the fourth quarter. I was like, okay, we got a 10-point lead. We're going to be good. And, and then Luca just started to lock up a little bit i think they left him out a little bit too long and they got him some treatment and it took him a little bit to get back into things when we got to overtime i was incredibly nervous and that final shot when whenever he got the ball i said okay here we go here we go and i don't remember the last time i screamed as loud as i did but what what a finish what a moment and the legend of luca is just beginning
3: (laughs) Yeah, pretty Listen, amazing. I, I mean, I have to say, like, it does remind you that even with no fans, I mean, I probably haven't watched it as many times as you have, but, like, I have watched that shot over and over and over again just for the pure joy of it. Like, w- this is what sports is all about at the end of the day. I had let out I mean, an Rick,
0: old Lordy myself. I I couldn't believe the shot. It was great.
2: <laughs> Rick Carlisle, who's a pretty straight edge guy, to see him even celebrating after the game, like... I remember back in the 2011 NBA Finals after they won, Carlisle was stoic. The buzzer beat, and he wasn't even smiling. And he went over to shake hands with the opposite coach, and he still wasn't really even smiling. To see Carlisle as excited as he was, like, you just got to love this team right now. And, you know, the city of Dallas where I grew up to have Luca come right after Dirk. Yeah. I mean, could we have a better recipe? And, you know, looking at the social media chatter from the game last night, there was never a time, even in the 2011 NBA finals, when the city of Dallas or Dirk had as much positive energy behind them as they do right now. So it's a fantastic time to be a mass fan and to have Luca on our team. Like I love I'm so happy about the way that Cuban and Donnie Nelson and Rick Carlisle have built this team moving forward, And that's the fan in me speaking.
3: There you go. All right, we're (laughs) going to leave it there on that very high note. We really appreciate it. Hope we can keep in touch with you. You are right at the center of so many things we're interested in. Nita Shrikant, she is the COO of Influencer, an avowed Dallas Mavericks fan, but also a fantastic history at ESPN, the Cowboys and elsewhere on the cutting edge of where social media and athletics are going. You can catch our podcast right here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly. Catch me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Michael Barr,
0: sad Detroit Pistons fan. I'm here at (laughs) Big Barr Sports. And don't forget, Rick Carlisle was once a member of the Boston Celtics. He knows how to win. I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at (laughs) lynchiewcbb.
3: You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.